Well, this morning, uh, we're going to begin a brand new series together, and so we're going to talk over the next three weeks uh, about a new series entitled God's Masterpiece. And we're going to talk about over the next few weeks, really, what does it mean to embrace uh, the process of change and really allow God uh, to work in our lives. How many know that God's at work every single day in our life? And if we will learn how really to embrace what God is doing, uh, there is a powerful process of change that happens uh, that allows us really to experience the fullness that God has. And, and one of the things I say a lot, and I said I believe earlier this morning as we were praying, uh, the thing that I love about following Jesus is that when you follow him, your life just works. Right? All of a sudden, family begins to work, your marriage begins to work, finances begin to work, and all of a sudden you begin to see things fall into place that could never be accomplished outside of a personal relationship with Christ. And uh, so we're really excited about that. So this morning we're going to talk about that. And we're going to start out with a video that just kind of pulls together how, how that process of change really begins to happen and how God really begins to shape us into what he calls uh, his masterpiece. So let's watch this together. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's workmanship, that we're, in essence, his masterpiece. I don't know about you, but when I get up in the morning and look in the mirror, I don't see a masterpiece, you know? I mean, maybe a, a Picasso, you know? But I want to be a masterpiece. I want to be everything that God has created me to be. And so I go to him in prayer and I say, God, do whatever it takes to, to get things out of my life that don't need to be there. Mold me into the image of your son so that I can be your masterpiece. Hi. Whoa. Who are you? I'm God. <laughs> no, you're not. Yeah, you just said the prayer, so here I am. That's how it works. Oh, okay, okay. Um, if you're God, then make it snow in here. You know what? If I made it snow in here, it'd get kind of yucky, and I really don't want to do that. See, you're not God. Why do you say that? God wouldn't say yucky. Yes, I do. It's a Greek word. Oh. Yeah. Oh, okay. If you're God, what does Lamentations 15:9 say? Lamentations is a very short book. It only has five chapters. Why is it so short? I was tired of lamenting. Oh. Yeah. Uh, if you're God... Who's going to win the World Series this year? You know what? I'm not so much into playing games. Why are you so much into playing games? You are God. I gave it away. You answered my question with a question. I did? <laughs> yep, I do that. Don't I? I did it again. <laughs> Step right up. Here we go. Okay. okay. All right. Hey, yeah. um, what's this about? These are the tools I'm going to use to make you into my original masterpiece. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Hang on. Yeah. I thought you were a carpenter. That's my son. Here we go. Step okay. right up. Here we go. All right. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. Yeah. How do you know what to chisel and what to leave? I take out all the things in your life that aren't out of me, kind of like dead weight. Ooh, speaking of that, could you chisel right in here? I just can't get rid of it. I mean, the other went away, but this, I mean, I've tried exercising, I've watched what I ate, I even did Pilates for a while, that was awkward. But if you could chisel, all I mean, right... Can I talk or can I chisel? Talk, chisel, talk, chisel, No, talk, no, no, chisel. no, chisel. All right, most of my children just like to talk. Not me. Bring on the chisel. Here we go. All right. You have a lot of anger. Ow. Some pride. Ow. Compare yourself to others instead of me. Ow. You're lazy. <clears throat> but you pretend like you're really, really busy. Ow. You have a problem with lust. Okay. <laughs> Time out. <laughs> I do not have a problem with lust. You don't have a problem with lust. No, I can do it anytime I want. Okay. <sighs> wait, wait, wait. Um. Maybe, maybe we should take a little time out. I mean, I think I'm doing pretty good. You are doing good, but when you look in the mirror, who do you see? I see me. Okay. 
then I need to keep chiseling away because ultimately you and others need to see my son. Here we go. Okay, hold on, hold on. Um, don't take this the wrong way. It's just that when I start looking more like your son, um, people get uncomfortable around me, you know? I mean, even my friends at church, they're all like, oh, you're holier than thou, why won't you do that, you know? I mean, so what you're doing right now is you rather play God in certain areas of your life than for me to be God over your whole life. I did not say that. That's what you meant. Yes, it is. It's hard to talk to you. I mean, you know everything I'm thinking. I'm just saying, you've done good work. Maybe we take a little break, a little time out, then we'll come back to right. it. What you're doing right now is so common. What you're doing right now is called control. Do you want to control things in your life, or can I chisel? Control, chisel, control. No, no, chisel. chisel. Here we go. No, can, can we chisel where I want that? It's called control. Okay. You've been holding on to this for a long time. You ready for this? hurts me more than it hurts you. Ow! I don't think you understand this pain. Don't talk to me about pain. I know all about pain. I sent my son to die on the cross for pain, for sin, but I also did it for another reason, to give you freedom. Do you know what insanity is? Insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting different results. And there are the things in your life, you even think back to high school, that you've been doing that do not work in your life, but you go to these empty wells whenever you're hurting, whenever you're angry, whenever you're lonely and tired, but they do not work. No, no, okay, okay. Um, I'm thinking maybe your we could... not my thoughts. Oh, okay, but if we went another way... Your we ways could... are not my ways. Okay, well look, I can't be good. You can't be good. I've made you good. Be good. Nothing. What is it? You wouldn't understand. I, God of all the universe, wouldn't understand something one of my children has to say. Try me. It's just, God, I've let you down so many times. No, you were never holding me up. I hold you up with my victorious, righteous right hand, and don't you forget that. In this relationship, I hold you up. away. All right. But just, just be prepared for what you're going to find in there. Because I know who's inside there. Because God, I get up every morning and I look at him in the mirror. And it is this, this scared little kid who gets up every day and tries to dress like an adult and act like an adult. But I can't. So just be prepared for what you're going to find in you have listened to so many voices for far too long that are not of me. You think you're junk, don't you? You really, really, really think you're junk. Listen to me. I don't make junk. What does that say about me? How can I show you that my love for you has no boundaries? I know. Reach in your back pocket. What? Reach in your back pocket. Why? Are you arguing with me? Reach in your back pocket. God. Yes? I was just saying, God, I'll do that right now. You were just saying my name in vain. You know what? It's, it's a name. It's a saying. It's, it's more it's... than a name. It's more than a saying. It's more than a bad habit. It's a name above all names. I want to teach you something about my name. Reach in your back pocket. You know what that is? This is a page from, from a journal I had when I was younger. 
How'd you get this? Hello? Oh, yeah. Go ahead, read it. I love Angie Holland. Other side. Sorry. I married her. I was there. Dear God, today I am turning everything over to you. I'm not going to hold on to anything anymore. Your word says that you will make me your masterpiece and use me to do great things. I don't see how it's possible, but I want that with all that I am. So please do whatever it takes to make me what you want. I love you, God. I love you too, Tommy. And I love you too much just to leave you where you're at. So this salvation that you hold, don't let it be some sentimental gush or some head knowledge. I want you to work it out in every detail of your life. And don't compare yourself to someone else because that is just trivial nonsense. You are my original masterpiece. You are one of my workmanship and you I find favor. This, don't look at this as a prison. But look at this as a, a father disciplines his child. A father disciplines the ones he loves. I know, but it's going to be tough. Yes, it'll be tough. But you bought into the lie thinking everything was going to be easy when you said yes to me. It's not how it works. I want you to do something. I want you to look up there and I want you to say, Tommy is God's original masterpiece. Tommy. No, 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 no. The way you see yourself or you yearn so much for others to see you the way I see you. Tommy is God's original masterpiece. Yes, you are. And so are you. God doesn't make junk. You are an original masterpiece. And over the next few weeks, we're going to kind of talk about that process. How God shapes us and forms us and fashions us into his original masterpiece. And we're going to see some exciting things because it really is a great journey. I want us to look at a couple of scriptures together this morning. Ephesians chapter 2, the scripture they made reference to in the video. The Bible says this. Let's read that first part together. Let's say it out loud. Here we go, guys. For we are God's masterpiece. Let's say that one more time. For we are God's masterpiece. And it says that he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. We are God's masterpiece. And every day of our lives, right, every single day of our lives, God is shaping us into the image of his son. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 and 29. If you've been a Christian for a while, you probably know this verse. The Bible says, and we know that God causes everything. Y'all say everything. God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Verse 29 says, for God knew his people in advance and he chose them, that's us, to become like his son. So that his son Jesus would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Let's look at our first thought on your outline together this morning. And I want you to see this. Here it is, just a simple statement. We are God's masterpiece and every day God is shaping us or sculpting us into the image of his son Jesus Christ every day God is sculpting us God is shaping us God is forming us God is fashioning us 
into the image of his son. And every day God is on purpose. Amen. How many you know God's on purpose? God is on purpose about creating that masterpiece of his work in our lives as he shapes us and sculpts us with what uh, we saw in the video and what we're going to call the chisels of God. So let's look at our next uh, point on your outline. I want you to see this. So the process of transformation, that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, the process of transformation, there are four chisels. There are four things that God consistently uses in our lives. And, and what's interesting is we look through these four things, you're going to recognize that, uh, that God has used these four things over and over and over again in your life and in my life to help shape us into the image of His Son. And, and the last statement on this screen says this, how we respond. How we respond determines the transformation that will take place in our lives. How we respond to the chisel of God, how we respond to the sculpting and the shaping of heaven in our life really does determine uh, how quickly or how the process of transformation takes place. And let's just think about this for a minute because we've all seen this happen, right? You've all, every one of us have seen, seen somebody get saved and in six months time, it's like they're a different person, right? You ever seen that happen? You've seen somebody get saved, and six months later, I mean, they, they walk different, they talk different, they act different, they are different, right? Their life has been radically, supernaturally transformed by the power of God. And then we've seen other people who got saved, and six years later, they still look like, walk like, talk like, and act like they did the day they got saved. And sometimes you look at that and you're like, man, what's, what's wrong? What's the difference? What happened? Did God like this person more than he liked this person? Did God love this person more than he loved this person? No. The reality is simply this. The process of transformation occurs at the speed that you respond to what God is wanting to do in your life. The way you respond to the chisel of God, the way you respond to the work of God in your life determines that process of transformation. So here's some really good news. You can be transformed at a supernatural speed if you are willing, and I am willing, to just respond appropriately to what God is doing. Because here's the reality. I want to go back to that scripture. We'll just let's look at it again. Let's back up if we can to Romans chapter 8, verse 28. I want to read it to you again. It says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God. How I many you know loving God is more than just saying, I love God? Right? I mean, it's a whole lot more than that, right? Loving God, right? We love pizza, right? We love football, and then we love God, Right? So how I many you know loving God is more than a word, right? Jesus said, this is what Jesus said. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. So I want to read this verse with a different word. So let's look at it this way. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who obey God. Who obey God. Because Jesus said, if you love me, you obey me. Because the reality is this, we all know this, right? You probably, if you've been saved for a while, you probably know there have been seasons in your life when you were really close to God, and there have been seasons in your life when you were not so close to God. And the reality is simply this, when you were in those seasons when you were really close to God, it didn't matter what happened, right? You went through negative circumstances, you went through trying times, you went through difficult times, but because you responded appropriately, 
even in the midst of negative, hurtful, painful circumstances, you drew closer to Jesus, right? But then there have been other times in your life where you went through circumstances and you did not respond appropriately. And you know what happened? You drew further away from God. See, here's a revelation. Everything doesn't work for your good unless you obey God in the midst of your circumstance. See, some things in the life of Christians, let's be honest, right? You've had some things that work for your bad. Financially, relationally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, hurt you. Was a detriment to your life. Why? Because you did not respond in obedience to God in the midst of what you were going through. So the reality is simply this. How we respond determines whether what we go through works for our good or works for our demise, right? If I love God and by loving Him, we mean obey Him, then everything that I endure, everything that I encounter, everything that happens to me, around me, and for me works together for my good. And it enables me to be shaped and transformed daily into the image and likeness of of Jesus. So let's go back to that little statement there. So there, there's a process of transformation, and how we respond determines really the transformation that takes place. So let's look at the first chisel. Four chisels, four things that God uses. Number one, God uses His Word, right? No great mystery, right? God uses His Word. Jeremiah chapter 23, look at this verse. It's a great scripture. Uh, God says this, he says, It's not my word like a fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. And I don't know about you, but I mean, I've had God's word hit me right between the eyes. You ever been hit between the eyes with the word of God? I mean, why is it so important that you be in the word? Pastor Rick shared last Sunday that statistically speaking, only 4% of all Christians read their Bible on a daily basis. Let me tell you why the word of God is so important, because the word of God is the chisel of the Lord. God uses his word to shape you. Now, let me tell you what a chisel does. A chisel does two things. A chisel cuts away the things that don't belong, right? In the video we saw, how do you know? He asked the question, how do you know what to cut away? I cut away anything that doesn't look like me, God said. Right, anything that doesn't reflect Jesus, God cuts away. But let me just say this to you. If you've ever looked at a sculpture, if you've ever looked at a fine piece of art, you know what you'll recognize? There are intimate details in that sculpting. Why? Because a chisel not only cuts away what doesn't belong, a chisel also perfects and shapes what does belong. Right? It makes it more focused, more fine-tuned, more beautiful, more effective and impactful than it could ever be. Right, Because the chisel cuts away, but the chisel also perfects the things that God wants to mature and develop in our lives. And God uses His Word. Let me encourage you. If you're not in the Word of God, you need to be in the Word. If, you, if the only time you listen to preaching is on Sunday, you need to go out on the internet, right? Let me just tell you something. There is a world through technology today, you can listen to some of the best preaching and teaching around the world, and it costs you nothing, right? It costs you nothing. You need to get in the Word of God, and you need to listen to the preaching and the teaching of the Word. Why? Because God's Word is a chisel. Right? Have you, ever, have you ever been justified in anger towards you? Ever had somebody do you wrong and you walked away feeling really mad and really upset and really justified because, man, I'm, I'm, I'm justified in my anger because of what they did. And then all of a sudden you hear a sermon about forgiveness. And you realize I'm not justified anymore. 
And all of a sudden, it begins to cut away that unforgiveness and cut away that bitterness and cut away that resentment. And all of a sudden, it begins to undermine and cut away that false justification that we bring into our lives. Well, I have a reason to be angry and I have a reason to hate them and I have a reason to be upset. And the reality is, is we have one reason to forgive and that's because God's forgiven us. Amen? And I'm glad he does, aren't you? And so the word of God cuts away. It is a chisel. Look at another scripture, 2 Timothy. Paul's encouraging Timothy, and he says this about the word. He says, all scripture is inspired by God. It's useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. And look at this last statement. And God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. God uses his word to do what? To prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Let me ask you a question. I've asked it all three services. We'll see how many takers we got. Anybody in here ever, ever sky, any skydivers in the room? Anybody ever got one jumped out of a plane? Anybody else? A couple of y'all. That's awesome. Y'all are my heroes. Well, I've never jumped out of a plane, but I've thought about it. And uh, I did a little research on it. And you know what I found out about jumping out of planes? Before they let you jump out of a plane, you got to go through this thing called training. Right? Even if you're jumping out tandem and you're strapped to somebody else, they're still going to take you through some, ta- through some training before we're going to jump out of this plane. I want you to understand something. Christianity is the greatest adventure you'll ever live. And you've heard me say it many times. If you are bored with your Christian life, you're not following God. Because if you're following Jesus, it's not boring. It is a great adventure, but the Bible says God uses his word, look at that statement, to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Let me just say this to you today. Some of you are missing out on the great adventure because there are some things that God wants to equip and prepare in your heart before you jump out of the plane, right? And God's not going to push you out of the plane until he has first prepared your heart to make sure you can land successfully and when you reject the word think about it when you reject the word of God when you reject the teaching and the preaching of the word that convicts your heart you know what you're doing you are rejecting you're putting on hold the adventure that God is calling you into because there are some great things that God wants to do in you and through you and God wants to invite you into his adventure but we have to be willing to respond to the word and the more that I respond accurately to the word of God not only does it cut away the things that don't belong but it prepares and equips my heart to do the things that God wants me to do so it allows me to be able to get to the edge and jump and say man there's nothing like following Jesus amen the second thing that God uses or the second chisel that we want to talk about this morning no surprise right God uses the Holy Spirit Right, The Holy Spirit is the inner witness of God in our hearts, in our lives. The Holy Spirit leads us and guides us into all truth. But look at John chapter 16. I want you to see this. Jesus said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, that's the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And look at this last statement. He says, and when he, the Holy Spirit, has come, he will convict the world. How many you know he doesn't just convict the world, he convicts the church? He will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Right? The Holy Spirit brings conviction. Right? That's the chisel of God. The whisper of the Lord that God begins to speak into your life. Right? How many times have you heard that still small voice say, don't do that? Don't say that. 
How many times? You know what that is? That is the chisel of God. What is God trying to do? He is trying to cut away and he is trying to perfect in you the things that he desires to see grow and become and mature. And the Holy Spirit is the chisel of the Lord. The Holy Spirit works on those things in our hearts and in our lives. And it's so easy, it's so easy to get so busy that we begin to neglect the whisper of God. See, I don't know if you've learned this yet, but if you've been walking with the Lord for a while, you've recognized that the voice of God comes as a whisper. And I remember asking God this question one day. I said, God, why do you whisper? He said, because have you ever told somebody a secret? He said, what happens when you tell somebody a secret, right? He said, they got to get real close to you. He said, the reason I whisper is because I want you to walk in intimate fellowship with me. I want you near me. God said, if I screamed at you, you might live on the other side of the room. But if I whisper to you, you've got to draw near. Right? God draws us near by the whisper of the Holy Spirit. And every day of your life, right, as a Christian, you hear that little voice, right? It says, it says no, and then sometimes it says go, right? And when you respond to the voice of the Holy Spirit, you know what happens? It cuts away the things that don't belong, and it perfects the things that do belong, and it makes us more into the image of Jesus Christ, and it shapes us into that masterpiece that God wants us to be so that when people begin to look at us, they actually start seeing more of Him than they see of us. And what an awesome testimony for every believer. Amen? So we have to respond, not reject. We have to respond appropriately to the voice of the Holy Spirit. The third thing God uses, this is interesting, it's lots of fun, is, is God uses people. Right? How many know that? God uses people in our lives. And, and people come in, in all shapes and forms and sizes. And I want to talk about two sides of how God uses people. God uses people positively and God uses people negatively. What do I mean by that? Well, I simply mean this. I mean that God will send people into your life that are positive relationships. Right? If you think about your life today, you can probably look at your life. I know I can. And I can recognize that I am where I am today because there have been people that have loved me, people that have encouraged me, people that have supported me, people that have ministered to me, people that have carried me, people that have come alongside me, people that have invested in me, right? Can't you look at your life and see that? You are where you are today because there have been some positive relationships, right? God has sent some positive people into your life that have encouraged you and loved you and supported you and helped you. And you know what happens? Every time that happens, God uses those people. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 27, they're going to put it on the screen, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. You know what those godly relationships do? They cut away some things, right? I don't know about you. I get around somebody with a passion for God, and it just makes me want to do better. Right? It makes me want to do better. It makes me want to strive for more. When I get around somebody that has a heart for prayer, I want to pray. When I get around somebody that has a heart for evangelism, I want to go out and tell somebody about Jesus. When I get around somebody that has a heart for deliverance, I just want to kick the teeth out of the devil. Right? I mean, don't you? I mean, isn't that awesome? And you know what? God sends people. God uses people to cut away. And God uses people to sharpen and perfect us. But God not only uses positive people, God uses negative people. Now, God doesn't make people be negative. That's the result of their choice. But God is able to use everything for our good if we respond in obedience to him. Right? I had a brother uh, in our church years ago, and he, he, called, he called Christians like this. He said, you know, there are those sandpaper Christians. He said, they always know how to rub you the wrong way. Right? And you know what? You have some sandpaper people in your life. 
right? Maybe they're in your family, maybe they're on your job, maybe they're here in the church, maybe they're sitting one row behind you, don't look at them, but right, there are some people in your life that rub you the wrong way, right? But you know what? God uses those people, right? God doesn't make them negative, but God takes even their sin and their wrong choices, and if you will respond appropriately, you know what God will do? God will shape you. Right, guess about think think about this for just a minute. The only way you learn how to forgive is you've got to be offended. The only way you learn how to love the unlovable is you've got to meet some unlovable people. The only way you learn to be patient, right, is you've got to get around some folks that demand patience. Right? It just demands it, right? You're like, oh my gosh, you know. You know, you want to kill them, you know you can't, so you got to be patient, right? The reality is, is God uses people. He uses people positively, and he uses people. But if you don't respond appropriately, those negative people will cause you to become offended. They'll cause you to become resentful. They'll cause you to become bitter. They'll cause you to become cold. They'll cause you to disconnect from people. Right? I don't even want to be around people because everybody I get around hurts me. Well, if you begin to respond appropriately, you know what will happen? Those negative people will perfect you. Those negative people will cut things off of you. Those negative people will be empowered by God to work in your life. And if you respond appropriately, you know what will happen? You will be shaped and fashioned into the image of Jesus Christ. Some of you have been resisting, amen, come on, give Jesus some praise. Some of you have been resisting, you've been praying God to move those people off your job and God's like, I put them there for you. Because you got some pride, you got some jealousy, you got some envy, you got some short temperedness, you got some selfish ambition, you got some things in your heart that need to change. And here's the reality, I wish, I wish we could learn all that stuff intellectually, you know, I wish you could just read the Bible and say, oh, I got that forgiveness thing. But you don't learn it intellectually. You have to learn it by experience. The only way you know how to forgive is you have to be offended. That's the only way you learn forgiveness. The only way you learn unconditional love is you get around people that don't deserve to be loved. So God uses people, amen. The third, fourth, fourth chisel, let's look at this last thing. God not only uses people, God uses circumstance. God uses circumstances in our lives to cut away and to perfect the things that he wants to do in our lives. And circumstances are like people. God uses positive circumstances and God uses negative circumstances in our life. If we respond appropriately, if we respond in obedience to the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, God can use every circumstance, good or bad, joyful or painful, to help us become more and more like Jesus. Let's look at our scripture out of the Gospel of Mark chapter 9. It says, Now after six days Jesus took Peter, James, and John, and he led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. Peter, James, and John got to experience the transfiguration of Jesus, right? He, he began literally to glow with the radiant glory of God. They saw Jesus in all his glory. And how many of you know that had to change them? Right? That had to change him, right? We have all had positive experiences. We've had encounters, right? You're here today in church because somewhere in your journey, you had an encounter with God that marked your life for good, right? 
We've had all kinds of positive experiences. And God uses those positive circumstances to shape us, to cut things off of us, to perfect us, and equip us to become more and more like Jesus. And I love it when we have positive experiences, right? I love it when everything goes our way. I love it when everybody loves each other and gets along and and all the bills are paid and everybody's healthy, wealthy, and wise. I just love it. And I rejoice in all those moments when they happen. But you know what? Life is not only full of positive circumstances. No matter how you live your life, I want you to hear this. No matter how you live your life, your life is going to be also filled with negative circumstances. Jesus lived a perfect life. And his life was filled with negative circumstances. I mean, he was crucified. That's pretty negative. Right? He was perfect He always did the will of God. He never sinned. And his life still was filled with negative people and negative circumstances. Why? Because we live in a world stained by sin. You will never escape negative circumstances, but this is what you can do. You can recognize that negative circumstances can shape you and perfect you and equip you and sculpt you into the image and likeness of Jesus. Let me give you a great story from Scripture. It's in uh, Genesis, the book of Genesis, chapter 50. It's the story of Joseph. You remember the story of Joseph? Joseph was uh, rejected by his father because he shared his dream. He was betrayed by his brothers and sold into slavery. He was lied about by Potiphar's wife. He was put in prison and then forgotten. And now, 13 years later, after all this chaos, I mean, Joseph's story is one tragedy, one problem, one difficulty, one negative circumstance after another. And at the end of his life, his brothers are now appearing before him, and Joseph has an opportunity to get revenge, to execute justice on them. He is in a place of power and authority, and he could have done anything he wanted to do. But I want you to see what Joseph said. Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. Look at this next statement. For I am in the place of God. Let me give you a modern-day interpretation. I am right where God wanted me to be. And then look what he says. What you intended for evil against me, God meant it for good. What you intended for evil, because their heart was evil. And the choices and decisions they made were done out of an evil, sinful heart. But you know what Joseph said? Joseph said, you know what I did? I responded appropriately. 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 And guess what? I'm right where God wanted me to be. How many of you understand God used all those negative circumstances in Joseph's life to cut away pride, to cut away immaturity, to cut away jealousy, to cut away bitterness, to cut away resentment, to cut away all kind of things. And God used all those negative circumstances in Joseph's life to perfect and equip within him a heart of purity and integrity that one day when he would stand in the nation of Egypt and literally save the known world, He could do it with an act of humility and be in a place where he could give God the glory for all that was being done, even though he was the most powerful man on the planet second to Pharaoh because of the chisel of God. Let me give you one last statement. It's not on your screen. You may want to write this down. This is huge. This is a great thought. You and I need to understand that no one, no one else's choices or decisions 
can keep you from becoming the person God has called you to be. No one else's choices or decisions can keep you from becoming the person God has called you to be. You're the only person that can keep you from the will of God. You're the only person. Nobody else's decision, nobody else's choices, no matter wrong, how wrong or evil, no matter how malicious or callous their, their decisions are towards you, no one can keep you from the will of God. No one can keep you from becoming the person God has called you to be. You are the only person that can disqualify yourself from becoming the masterpiece that God has called you to be. And it all is determined by your response. How we respond to the Word of God, how we respond to the Holy Spirit, how we respond to positive and negative people, and how we respond to positive and negative circumstances determine whether we are daily becoming what God has called us to be or whether we get stifled in the process and get stuck where we are. I don't know about you today. I don't want to be stuck. I want to daily become the masterpiece that God has called us to be. I want to ask you just to bow your heads this morning. Maybe you're here today and maybe you've never really truly trusted Jesus with your life. In the video we saw at the end he read the letter where there was a defining moment in his life where he surrendered everything to God. And he said, Lord, I'm yours. Make me into your original masterpiece. That's what God wants to do. God wants to make us, each and every one of us, into his original masterpiece. God really does have a good plan for our lives. But first of all, the first thing that has to happen before God can shape you and mold you is God has to own you. You have to be his. You've got to be brought into his family. And once you're brought into his family, you get brought into an amazing process of change where God, because he's a loving father, begins to daily work on your heart, helping you to become all he's called you to be. But if you're here today and you've never made that first step of accepting Christ, and today you realize, man, you know what? Without God, I'm lost. And there's no hope. See, that's the reality of the gospel. The gospel is Jesus didn't die on the cross because there was another way. Jesus died on the cross because he was the only way.